This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, February 20th, 2020. It's 2 2020. Is it? Oh, God. 02 2020. 02 2020. And we're talking class of 1977 here on the Hall of Fame. Uh, Adam Hall's cross table for me. Yo. On the other line, our good pal Jabril. Hey, everyone. For some godforsaken reason, front of he's, the program, he's back. He's infected the podcast he has. once again with his it's vile me. presence. <laughs> it's me. Yeah, yeah. Shut up. That <laughs> is what death sounds like, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> when death approaches, when the coronavirus comes knocking at your door, it will do so with a smile from ear to ear. We got fourteen infected Americans, by the way. So yippee kaye, motherfucker. Is that right? Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. we can start thinning out the podcasts then. <laughs> thinning out the podcast. Yeah, I think America needs it. Okay. I think America needs podcast control. Okay. I'm just going to say there's that. There's too right many now. podcasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have like eight on this stupid fucking website. What's, and no one listens to us. So it's gotten out of control. Yes. Well, what's what's worse, our podcast or the coronavirus? Uh, well, I would say we've probably taken more lives in the United States so far. Mm, I would say we've taken up more of their time. That's for sure. Certainly for better or worse. Certainly. We've definitely wasted more time and resources on this podcast than the United States government on the coronavirus. I mean, I would like to say it's unclear whether or not podcasting has been a benefit to society. Yeah. But I think it's pretty. Obvious. I think it's very obvious yes. that it's not. Yes, I think. I think the jury is has been out for yeah. quite some time, and yeah. I mean, look at what happened to Jabril. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me a platform, and that's no good to anybody. <laughs> and we've like taken all of his time. I don't know how you listen to so much of our shit. It's, Seriously, it is incredibly flattering, but but uh, a little concerning. If I'm being honest with yes. you, you guys have great chemistry, man. That's oh. that's undeniable. Oh, yeah. we have great chemistry. I mean, yeah, yeah. So so did like. Einstein when he invented the atomic bomb. That's really good chemistry. <laughs> I mean, that is effective chemistry right there. I'm the atomic bomb. Wow, I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, we've gone nuclear. Um, <laughs> Jabril. The, yeah. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Have you seen any movies recently? This is a movie podcast. I saw... Two movies for the first time that we're going to talk about today, and that's about it. I've been watching some TV. I saw that show Broad City. If you're familiar with that, that's Word. pretty good. Good show. Have not. Yeah, seen very it. good. Not for you. Good? I don't watch TV. Yeah, not for I you. Don't watch TV. Broad City is way too niche for you. Nah, I'm not a. Fa- I don't believe TV exists. Okay, so. <laughs> that's cool. Just that. Yeah, Broad City's fun. Yeah. I don't know what those two guys? ladies' names, but yeah. Didn't you recommend a movie to me recently? Yes, the excuse me, the Death of Dick Long. It's an A twenty four movie. It's oh, very, very good. I think I got that one from you as well. Yeah, I need to watch that. I need to bone up on some movies. I haven't been watching quite enough, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. What, so, what's so good about that one? Tell me about that one. It's a noir crime thriller about a couple of friends who fuck up one night and uh, suffer the consequences. That's all I'll say. Sounds like I'd like it. Yeah. You would. You sent me the poster, and it's of a guy shooting off a firecracker from his penis, it looks like. <laughs> um, and also the main character's name, or at least the, the titular character, is Dick Long. That is correct, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, a bit juvenile of a premise, I think. <laughs> but then oh, I hear that, that A20... Oh, you'll see. Yeah, well, then I hear that A24 made it, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. interesting. 
Although they have sometimes tackled some juvenile premises. Mm-hmm. I, I think generally they make some pretty highbrow stuff. Um, and then I saw that trailer and I'm like, whoa, this looks stylish mm-hmm. and really fun. So, yeah, I've been meaning to get around to it. It's just I haven't had the time because I've been catching up on Oscar stuff. But it, it mm. did look quite fun. It is. Yeah. It's by uh, one of the directors is one of the guys who tackled Swiss Army Man. So that's uh, definitely in the vein uh, of that bit. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Do not like that movie. Mm. <laughs> Do not care for it. Have you seen it? Not yet. No. So it, Adam, yeah, is it save, good? save yourself the time. It's okay. It's, just, it's, okay. it's, it's something. It's really fucking stupid. It's it's really stupid. Yes and no. <laughs> yes and yes. No, yes and no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely stupid. I, I, I'm not going to go as far to say it's it's not a little clever at times. It's not for everybody. I can't recommend it. No. No. Impossible movie to recommend. Yeah, but, you know, if you're feeling weird, if you're feeling groovy one night, you know... <laughs> Flip it on if you've been smoking crystal you know, meth. You know, put put it. Pop That's some, what you mean by groovy. Pop some LSD. No, crystal meth, dude. Have some class. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pop some LSD. <laughs> Could you imagine like taking crystal meth? Could you imagine that? Like, I'm trying to figure out like what would my life have to be in order to find myself in a position where I'm smoking crystal meth. I just love certain questions that come out of specifically your mouth. Sometimes there's just something about Nico asking, "Could you imagine?" What no, it would just be like, like I can't envision meth? the the pathway that my life would have to to mm. follow in order to get to that position. Yeah, well, you'd have to be homeless, so that's step number one. Do you have to be homeless? It helps. Okay. <laughs> it well, then I can definitely. But see, I can conceive a position where I'm homeless. <laughs> Okay. That I can see. That's unfortunate. Very easily. <laughs> yeah, me living out on the street is a bum, definitely. <laughs> You're already a bum. You just need exactly. the, you just need the lack of house. All I gotta do is lose the home. Yeah, that's which that's again, a, there you go. Thin line, my friends. <laughs> uh let's talk nineteen seventy seven, shall we? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would call it a top heavy year. I wouldn't call it a great movie year. I would say that there are five great movies that came out that year and nothing else. Is that fair to say? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Highest grossing movie of 1977 was, of course, Star Eraserhead. Wars. Nope, not Eraserhead. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Followed by Smokey and the Bandit, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Saturday Night Fever, and The Goodbye Girl at number five. Your nominees for Best Picture were Annie Hall, The Goodbye Girl, Julia, Star Wars, and The Turning Point. Annie Hall wins Best Picture that year, as does Woody Allen for Best Director. Richard Dreyfus wins Best Actor, not for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but for The Goodbye Girl. Diane Keaton wins Best Actress for Annie Hall. The great Jason Robards, Best Supporting Actor for Julia. And Best Supporting Actress goes to Vanessa Redgrave, also for Julia, a movie I have not seen. Cool. National Film Registry. Only five movies were inducted that year. And I don't think this has ever happened before, but the five were Eraserhead, Saturday Night Fever, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, <laughs> Star Wars, and Annie Hall. Yeah, baby. So mm. we are five for five on that front. So we have good taste. Well, we have the same taste as National wow. Film Registry. That doesn't yeah. mean good. Well, hey, yes, it does. It just means the same. Sure, it does. Uh, a couple honorable mentions. Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, whatever. Fun as a kid. It's a fun. It's a good movie. It's good. a perfectly good, fun movie with a great Jackie Gleason performance and Burt Reynolds and his awesome mustache and Sally Field looking quite fetching. I must admit. Yeah, like that's one of those movies I would have rented from Blockbuster at ten. Sure, 
like five times. Everyone rented from Blockbuster when they were 10. Everyone rented good movies from Blockbuster when they were 10. Like, I don't know, Shawshank? Uh, that, that was a thing. Sure. <laughs> I loved Shawshank Pulp Redemption Fiction. at 10 years old. That was just an all-time favorite of mine. Starship Troopers? Good yeah. Burger? Good Burger? <laughs> Annie Hall? Uh... <laughs> Salo, Salo, or the 120 Days of Sodom, great film. <laughs> Slapshot also came out in 1977, oh, yeah. as did Mel Brooks's High Anxiety, Kentucky Fried Movie, old Zucker and Abrams over there, or Abrams, Abrams and Zucker, I should say. Yeah. Uh, House we just talked about and why is this a thing came out that year. Deathbed, the bed that eats, ditto. Um, <laughs> and this is. One that I realized I overlooked when we nominated. I just found it in my research, and I would have nominated it had I thought of it at the time. But Pumping Iron came out in 1977. Oh, And I would have relished, relished the opportunity to talk Pumping Iron today. very interesting movie. So fun. I'm just coming and coming and coming. Coming and coming, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Lou Ferrigno's great in that. Gave us Arnold, dude. That's true. That's great. 1977. I always, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine Arnold pre uh, Terminator sometimes, but he was around. Oh, he was, and was he ever? Yeah. Pumping Iron might be my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> You're such a fucking weirdo. I think if I had to pick one, it's that one. <laughs> it, I, I wouldn't fault you. For, it's such an interesting choice, and it's a good movie. So yeah, it's either that or Kindergarten Cop, of course, or that, Twins. My favorite as well, of course. Kindergarten Cop, so sick, twins. dude. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Um, all right, that's all I got. Eraserhead. Let's do it. All right. Written and directed by David Lynch. <laughs> if only we had someone that uh, did a good David Lynch impression. Yeah. Well, we we should have had him back for the pod. Yeah, we really yeah, should. I hear, have. Yeah, I hear you guys got David Lynch. That's fucking crazy. Big yeah, get. Crazy. Yeah. No, I don't know how we got him. Big get. Did he reach out to us? Uh, we play polo at the same polo club. Actually. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize he was such a good polo player. We occasionally, yeah. you know, hop on the ponies and uh, and yeah. bat some balls around. Yeah. That's how you play polo, right? I guess so. I think so. <laughs> Did you smoke with him, Nico? <laughs> we had uh, some cigarettes. We uh, ex- we uh, exchanged panties actually and ate each other's <laughs> panties. Delicious, as you would, as you would. It's quite lovely. A <laughs> uh, Razorhead stars Jack Nance and Charlotte Stewart. Henry Spencer tries to survive his industrial environment, his angry girlfriend, and the unbearable screams of his newly born mutant child. Adam and I saw this along with Nick Evangelista at the at the uh, Alamo Draft House yep. in Yonkers, New York. What was that? Like two years ago at this point? Yep, 2017. It was projected on 35 millimeter film. It was awesome. And we shared a really fun podcast, the three of us, yeah, oh, in man. a darkly lit room. It felt like a David Lynch movie. It did, yeah. We that commented night, on that, too, yeah. It was uh, one of the great uh, podcast experiences I think we've ever had. Yep, one of my favorite. And, of course, Zach, of course, doesn't vote for it when we do the Wattatties, that bastard. Yes. I remember that very vividly in my head. Yes. The, the biggest grudge I've ever had with Zach Caponegro. Fuck that kid. I'm sick of Zach. No, I'm not. Um, so we've talked about it a lot on a podcast. Uh, Jabril Mahmood has not talked about it that much on a podcast, so take it away, sir. Oh, man, I love this movie so much. It's uh, <laughs> top five all-time. Uh, top five all-time movies. Yes. For me, anyway, personally. Yeah, it's it's just, it's a world I love visiting mm. every time I rewatch it. It's just, 
It's it's magnificent. Okay. It's, it's haunting. It's disturbing. It's just icky and uncomfortable, but it's just intoxicating at the same time. Yep. Could not have said it better. So it's your favorite Lynch movie? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. It is mine as well. Wow. Yep. Okay. I only have Blue Velvet, I think, ahead of it. Mm-hmm. I, probably I still haven't seen that. I still haven't oh seen that. Oh my lord, Jabril! <laughs> Why? It's like if I told you, like Adam, the love of your life is on the other side of that door, but you've never met her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how that's, fucking excited would you be? That's pretty close, actually. No, it'd be like mm. it's it just standing right there. Mm-hmm. It's just on a streaming service for you to enjoy, Jabril, and you're gonna fall. In, your life is gonna change. You know what's funny? I own it on DVD, too. I'm like, I just haven't watched it. <laughs> Watch Blue Velvet. What is the matter with you? I will. Do I it will. tonight. You you will you will mark your days as before I watch Blue Velvet and after I watch Blue Velvet. Your life will be bifurcated into two specific segments. I and I will I, I will say, after watching the David Lynch, The Art Life documentary, I'm, uh, I'm really itching to watch it because it seems like... Uh, Based on how he was describing parts of his childhood, mm-hmm. that movie seems semi-autobiographical along with Dave, along with Eraserhead. Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That's one of those movies where it's like, I, again, David Lynch's weirdness, it's amazing how so many people like get attached to it, and I wouldn't expect to get attached to it when I'm younger, but like, man, I saw Blue Velvet when I was, ugh, I don't know. Four? <laughs> no, no, I, I I saw it like when like early on in college, I believe, and again, not mm. I don't I think the only Lynch film I had seen was Eraserhead, and um, and I was just like, just as soon as I see the bugs, I'm like, yeah, I'm in, right? I'm in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this is fucking awesome. Once you see the ear in the uh, the Kyle McLaughlin discovers in the middle of the field, it's just like. <laughs> Just, it's just nonchalantly like, yeah, it's an ear. Okay. Well, Blue Velvet, though, is like a legitimate high school lover story. In a way, yeah. Well, I mean, it is, but like it, David Lynch's version of that. Exactly, right. So. And you also got Frank Booth just hanging out, just, uh, <laughs> Pep's Blue Ribbon! Heineken, <laughs> we don't drink that shit! <laughs> <laughs> so good! Uh, but anyway, that's my number one. Eraserhead actually might be my number two. Maybe Mulholland Drive or Elephant Man, I guess, are candidates. Uh, but yeah, the first time I saw this was at the Alamo Draft House, and that was just like a life changing experience. It's just one of those things where it's like, wow, I can't believe I live in a country where we can do this. We can just yeah. go to a local movie theater and watch this thing mm-hmm. projected on thirty five millimeter. Yeah, let me ask you guys, what, what do you take any lesson away from this movie? Do you take any overall? Is there any overall point that you take from it in your own life? Uh don't have children that's one yeah i suppose so (laughs) there's a lesson uh there's there's yeah there's that one there's a lot to be said about like like isolation i think Mm -hmm. in this movie and and how you try to comfort yourself when you have no one else with you and all you've got is this you know horrible mutant monster (laughs) that's just (laughs) making your life like absolutely horrendous in every conceivable way but there's something about his relationship with the lady in the radiator yes that's oddly hopeful and and somewhat satisfying and a lot of people sort of you find that hopeful a lot of people take that ending and interpret it as him killing himself which is is fine uh no but there's a lot to be said about like like sort of the the i don't know He, he he certainly finds a lot of peace with her in a weird way and I, I just kind of like how he's able to pull that out of complete isolation, you know? She also, mm. like, murders all of his sperm cells, though. <laughs> like, that, that woman is, like, responsible for his, his celibacy. 
Do you think she's doing it in, in a way that's like monstrous or bad? I'm not convinced. I, I well, think, I don't know. As as monstrous and bad as killing sperm cells can be, I guess. Well, I those don't know. Are, those always sort of represented something like like his his. I mean, his feelings on the kid. I mean, it's literally just. I mean, those sperm cells look exactly like the one that's dropped into the to the planet at the beginning, right? And of course, that sperm cell ruins uh, uh, Henry's life. So for him to have like this dream of this woman being like, "No, I'm going to stop all that shit. You don't have to worry about any of that crap." I don't so know. you find that cathartic. Oh, see, I found that to be like an abortion fantasy, <laughs> like a like a horrific abortion fantasy. Interesting. Of just like death and destruction. I I, I never took that as like a oh the, the lady in the radiator is solving all of my problems. No, I kind of take it as that. Yeah, she's. Oh, that's so, an interesting read on it. Yeah, I yeah. guess I I've always taken it a totally different way, but I guess that's not invalid. <laughs> and that is, I wouldn't I'm, say that your your uh, interpretation is invalid either, though. Yeah, that's what I love about this movie so much, and l- like what he said about it is that it's just this crazy atmospheric infectious thing that i can't describe it's like house and this are the closest thing you get to like a nightmare experience yeah i i think actually this is more so than than house i think house is more of like a straightforward narrative and this is just absurdist art through through. yeah yeah. one thing that i want to say as well is i'm really getting into sound design and sound effects (laughs) lately and i just the stories of him and the late alan splett you know, crafting the sound design for this movie whether it be the wind or just the sort of tactile ways they made just things splashing into water. They just used a regular bathtub or a fan and they just warped these sounds is just really, really, really cool. Yeah. Innovative. Isn't it all yeah. Lynch, like Lynch and his buddy? Like you yep. said, Alan yeah. split. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And still to this day, he is the credited sound engineer on most of his movies, I think. Yeah. Yes. He yep. just, but that's where it comes from the experimenting. And it's yep. funny, like, like if you've ever done sound mixing and and just going outside and trying to uh, obtain certain sounds like that's mm-hmm. there's the variety of things you can come up with is amazing and yeah. i and this is like a like like a like a powerhouse example of the stuff that you can do with, with everything that he i mean there's a tremendous amount of restraint with the amount of sound he uses but everything seems kind of deliberate and it matters to down down to like him using the screams of his daughter as the mm-hmm. sounds of the baby right which is fucking weird it is it's so perverse yeah, in many ways yeah well, you know, that's interesting you say that, though, because every year at the Oscars, they do this sound editing, sound mixing split. Mm-hmm. They, they always give out two awards for sound, and no one knows what the difference between the two is. And every year, the choice seems to be the most boring choice possible. Yeah. I think, was it 1917 or Ford versus Ferrari that won? I think, actually, they split this they split, year. Yeah, I was going to say one won the other. Okay. Mm. That is the exact movie that wins that category every year. It's either the war movie or the space movie or the one with the most sound in the case of Ford versus Ferrari. It's just like lots of engines, lots of gear shifts, lots of stuff. So here's an Oscar. And very rarely do you see something like Eraserhead, which is not in your face with the sound design, but so inventive and creative with the sound design. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that one year the Academy got out of its own way and said, you know, we're not just going to give it to the movie with the most guns in it. Yeah. We're going to give it to something a little more inventive like this one. Like David Lynch should have five sound editing Oscars mm-hmm. by now. Those tend to be the movies that are the most impressive for me. I mean, it's I, I hate I hate saying the weird ones. I say that all the time, but it's yeah. really true. Like the weird ones come up with some of the most interesting sounds, which is I, I see I've you know, I've, in a lot of 
sci-fi films like in like the Blade Runner films. But honestly, and you'll like this answer, is uh, A Quiet Place is one that they missed sure. tremendously. Mm. I thought that one used sound pretty brilliantly right. because of the lack of sound right. in a lot of ways. But it was sparing, exactly yeah. right. But of course, the Oscars don't award sparing. They award no. the most. It's like when they gave Bohemian Rhapsody Best Film Editing. <laughs> it's one of the worst edited movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but it had a cut every two seconds, so they're like, yeah, that was a hard edit, and you don't get points for difficulty, man. I don't know. Are um, you saying the Academy is full of normies, Nico? Yes, that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying just put me in charge of the Oscars and the world would be a better place. Mm-hmm. Make me the czar, I'm telling you. Make me the czar of stupid shit. Why do you want to be shit. the czar? I want to be the czar that's, of stupid shit. That's weird, man. <laughs> Also, I wanted to say Eraserhead's fucking hilarious. <laughs> hilarious movie. It's also very funny. Mm-hmm. Just Bro- cut them like chickens. Regular chickens. <laughs> okay, Paul. <laughs> that, that, that scene in the Twin Peaks, The Return, where he, the, he says, this is what we do at the FBI. It is exactly <laughs> the same. As soon as I saw it, I just... <laughs> it is exactly the same. <laughs> It's so good. There's a lot of that stuff. The, yeah. A lot of the imagery in in that original movie is used all throughout his career, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's only gotten better over time and more effective. He's so yeah, fear of the dangerous. atomic bomb, yeah. the stark landscapes. Yeah, yeah. The story behind this one is that Lynch was studying at the American Film Institute, and he actually I think had a degree already in visual arts. Like he wanted to become an artist. And someone took a liking to his art, gave him a scholarship at AFI, and he became an absurdist filmmaker at the age of 24. Almost drops out of AFI until they offer him a little bit of cash to make this student film. And I I think like the dean of students at AFI offered him the scholarship. And when the board of directors did not want to give him the money, the dean threatened to quit. Mm. Ends up making the movie at AFI. This is, I think, one of the most successful student films ever made. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the rest is history. So... The thing about Lynch that's always interesting is he's a really good filmmaker, but it's almost like he stumbled into becoming a really good filmmaker. It's like that talent was always there, but he was never really pursuing that. He just wanted to pursue this muse that that was calling him. You know, he always wanted to be an artist and film was just the medium. I love that, though. Isn't that so Mm. interesting? Because it happens every once in a while. It happened to George Miller, too. Yeah. Where it's like he was just a a paramedic on in in an ambulance and he was driving Mm. around in cars and saw a bunch of mutilated bodies. And he's like. Let's make a movie about this. Right. This would be funny. Yeah. And for no reason at all. He was already a doctor. And yeah, it's a, it's a similar example here where it's like, because I've read about this and it's like, yeah, he should have been a painter. Sure. But he, but he became a filmmaker. And he could have been a painter and he could have yeah. been a really good yeah. painter, but luckily we got him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you heard the, did you hear that story of uh, how he decided to become a filmmaker? So one day he was painting something and uh, it was a landscape or something. So uh, the wind was coming into his window. And so the idea came to him. Oh, a moving painting. That's how I can do this. Yep. He tells that story a lot. So there's... A moving painting. Yes. A moving painting. There we go. I was I was expecting it to not be some senile shit, but... Yes. Even at 22, he was fucking senile, David Lynch. <laughs> oh, and I recommend The Grandmother, if you guys have never seen that, his short film uh, prior to this. It's very, very good. Okay, I need to check Very that out. Very eerie. Very eerie. What'd you, what'd you think of What Did Jack Do? I feel like, we, you know... I, didn't I, we I, talk to him about this? Oh, no, I'm sorry. We talked to no, David we Lynch didn't about this. No, we didn't talk about it with him, Nico. <laughs> yeah, what'd you think of it, Jabril? You can burn in hell! <laughs> good or bad, I don't know. <laughs> That's good. It's good. <laughs> it's something. 
Stream yeah. Eraserhead on the Criterion channel. Yeah. Yep. If you have it. Saturday Night Fever. Uh, you mm. can't tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. Shut up. No, tell me, tell me. <laughs> Directed by John Batum, who I think Batum. did like war games and nothing else. Batum up. Yes. Uh, <laughs> John Travolta and Karen Lynn Gorney star. He had one Oscar nomination that year. Best lead actor for Mr. Travolta. AFI named it uh, the number nine movie song of all time. Staying Alive, of course, the song. Anxious about his future after high school, a 19-year-old Italian-American from Brooklyn tries to escape the harsh reality of his bleak family life by dominating the dance floor at the local disco. Uh, Adam, you've never seen this movie. <laughs> Still never seen this because movie. Because you are a, not a prepared co-host that's for this right. podcast. and uh, I just forgot, really. That's all it is. I just, you know, it's my mind. Story of your life. You know. <laughs> uh, Jabril, did you just see this recently for the first time? No, no. I saw this a while ago. I don't remember a lot of it. I thought it was okay when I first saw it here. Travolta, it's, I think it's the best performance I've ever seen him give. I by think far. that so is correct. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I, I adore this movie. I, okay. I, I love it. Um, now... It's possible that I only love it because of the soundtrack, because it is the best movie soundtrack of all time, mm. and that is settled. I think it's the highest selling soundtrack. It's got to be the highest selling soundtrack yeah, of all time, right? Um, and uh, you know, the music is just so lively and incredible. But then you have under the surface this like really disturbing mm-hmm. story of like urban life and race relations and youth and sexual promiscuity. Um, and it's like a real complicated, gritty movie. Luckily, I saw it late enough in life. I think I probably saw it in college for the first time. But I know at the time, it was an R-rated movie. They edited it down to, to PG to try to bring the Grease folks into the movie uh, theater. I and I, I just think a lot of the meaning was lost on them. This is like a real gritty 70s New York movie. Um, and I actually think it's one of the best gritty 70s New York movies there are. Okay. Um, it's It's really excellent. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I do think it's Travolta's best performance by a long margin. <laughs> At Pulp Fiction, it's probably number two. No, no, no. No, the number one is The Fanatic. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, should have been nominated yeah. for an Oscar, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. campaign was strong. Yeah, it's going to take home a Razzie for that campaign. <laughs> the campaign did its job. Javriel, you thought it was okay. Yeah, why do you think it's Okay. Um, I, again, I haven't seen it in a while from what I remember. I thought it, I thought it was going to be something else. I thought it was, I, I don't know. I don't know what I thought it was going to be. I I think, uh, I don't remember it actually. Yeah. I don't. Well, it's fun. There is sort of a a misconception with this movie. I know because I, I've never seen it, but, um, a buddy of mine Mm. recently saw it for the first time and told me all about it. And I was kind of like shocked by like what the movie actually is Mm because I think in my head I just thought it was a dance movie yes I think Mm -hmm. most people think it's just a dance movie and they don't expect how kind of oddly like nasty and mature it's going to be and that's basically Mm -hmm. what he was telling me he's like it's actually a very adult film right it's not it's not it's not like it's not footloose or anything like that you know it's yeah I think that is one of the movies that's a good comparison people assume that it's going to be footloose no one puts baby in a corner and it's not that at all Mm. Um, the dancing is actually a pretty small portion of it I mean Mm. obviously it's (laughs) like the leading sort of visual motif and whenever you think of this movie you think about Travolta and the disco Um, but yeah it's actually like a uh, uh, just a story about shithead kids doing shithead things, okay. mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a coming of age story. It's about love. Um, 
there is a rape scene in this, there is a gang rape scene at the end of this movie. And maybe at the time you wouldn't have considered it a gang rape scene, but there is a scene where Travolta and his buddies are driving around Brooklyn and they got a girl in the back who is drunk out of her mind and sobbing as the guys take turns fucking her. Like that happens. Uh, it, it's a, it's a gang rape scene. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that wasn't in the PG version of the movie. <laughs> There's another scene where Travolta attempts to rape his wannabe girlfriend, the girl that he wants to be dating. Uh, she uh, backs away from him and he tries forcing himself upon her again. Like it's complicated. It's a, like a real complicated, morally ambiguous movie about not such great people. And to just call it the movie, you know, ah, 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 stand alive. Yeah. And just to watch him dancing as great as those dance sequences are. You really miss. There's a lot more there there. You know, there's a lot more there there. Interesting. All right. And so I would actually recommend it to guys like maybe you or others listening to the podcast that just think of it as another Footloose. And you're like, ugh, I don't need to watch Travolta in a disco club for two hours. And Mm -hmm. I can't stand the Bee Gees. Like there's there's so much more. It's a lot more Scorsese Uh, than you would think. mm -hmm. I like the Bee Gees, so I don't. I'm not. Okay. I'm not I like mind. the Bee Gees too. Yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that is seriously what held me back for so many years. Where it's just like I don't care about a fucking dance movie, right? You know, yeah, just ignorant of me. Yeah, certainly <laughs> ignorant of you. Um, first, <laughs> I've read this on IMDb. First mainstream Hollywood movie in which the term blowjob was used. Really, uh, John Travolta had previously starred in Carrie, 1976, which features a scene of him receiving one. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful cheery fact. So there's a fun fact for you all. Is that all they got? Hope you had fun listening to that fact. When we flip to the archives <laughs> of film, ooh, Saturday Night Fever, the first time blowjob was ever uttered. <laughs> Next. <laughs> this is a movie that is, has just become a part of the cultural milieu um, <laughs> because it's Saturday Night Fever and like... Uh, you you really got to see it in order to understand the 70s. It's so 70s. Okay. You know, as much as you don't love these people all the time, you kind of want to spend time there. Right. You kind of want to go to what, whatever the name of the club is. I think Odyssey. Odyssey mm-hmm. 2001, I think is the name of the dance club. It's called Odyssey 2000. Yeah. It's, all right. yeah. All right. Is that what it is? I, I think so. <laughs> uh, or 2001 Odyssey. <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey? No, is that it's what just... It's Something like that. You do want to go there and you want to hang out with Travolta and you want to watch him dance. And by the way, incredible dancing. Yeah. You watch those sequences and he's just an amazing dancer and you understand why he would have been a star in the 70s. Um, And this was also, I think, the year before Greece. So before Greece? I think so. I think this one came out in 77. And so this was kind of our introduction to him. Well, I guess you have Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah. Which was like maybe 74 or something but yep it's 2001 odyssey there you yep. go 2001 wow. odyssey this is a great movie all right also i think gene siskel's favorite movie it's gene <laughs> siskel's favorite movie that's an so. interesting pick yeah that's how you know it sucks <laughs> no i do like those guys they're big fans of beta pig in the city so. oh good so. <laughs> one of my favorite siskel and ebert clips is when <laughs> Roger Ebert claims that Benji the Hunted, the movie about the Disney dog, is better than Full Metal Jacket. (laughs) (laughs) And he gave it like Benji the Hunted two thumbs up and he gave like (laughs) Full Full Metal Metal Jacket like a middle interview. (laughs) (laughs) And they get in a giant argument about it. I think I've actually seen that and it's hilarious. It's so good. Good old Roger. Dude, those guys were the best. Yeah, they were. 
Uh, stream Saturday Night Fever on Stars. Mm. That means you, Adam Hall. I'll give it a shot. Stream it on Stars. Okay. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> Written and directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Richard Dreyfus, Francois Truffaut. Interestingly. And Terry Garr, winner of Best Cinematography. Nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Melinda Dillon. Best Director, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, and Best Original Score. Roy Neary, an electric lineman, watches how his quiet and ordinary daily life turns upside down after a close encounter with a UFO. AFI called it the number one, or sorry, number 31 thriller of all time, number 58 most inspirational movie of all time, and number 64 on its all-time movie list. Um... Second, I guess, major movie by Steven Spielberg. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, Duel, I guess you could consider, well, but th- this was the second like iconic movie. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Jaws, and then he goes and does this. Yeah. Uh, Jabril, talk to me about this. Yeah. This was cool. This was pretty cool. It has that Spielberg grandeur, man. That Spielberg whimsy and wonder is in full effect already. Mm-hmm. Those flourishes. Already there. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, I found it kind of empty. Whoa! Is this the first time you'd seen it? Yeah. Oh, shit. I, and I own this one, too, on Blu-ray. And oh, I, interesting. I just saw it yesterday. Oh, I'd love to watch it on Blu-ray. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, me too. No, I, I effectively wondrous, and again, a lot of grandeur here, but I think ultimately kind of left me feeling cold. Didn't really have a point to it, really. <laughs> eh. Huh. You, you think so? Yeah. Leave your kids behind. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Leave your kids behind. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, he does make out with some random chick from the neighborhood mm-hmm. at the end of the movie after abandoning mm-hmm. his wife and his three kids. But they're bonded, so that makes sense. So, Okay, look. there's There are there are no movies without blemishes. Okay? <laughs> sure. Except for, like, Fast Five. Yeah. Every movie has a flaw, you know? And uh, this one has some questionable stances on family values. Which is weird, considering it's a Spielberg film. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few choices in here that I don't fully understand. I'm not sure I'll go as far to say it doesn't have a point. Oh, I wouldn't say that either. But uh, the thing that makes it work for me is that this is the first time I feel like Spielberg really tapped into his sense of awe in Mm -hmm. in film. It's like if you want to trace back like where that that all comes from of someone just staring and looking at something amazing – which is what I call like that Spielberg awe moment. It's uh, it's pretty much this, and there are a few scenes that that are better than just like like Richard Dreyfus just sitting in that intersection and then not knowing what the hell's going on as that light is flying above him, right? Which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Or when the little boy opens the door and that orange light comes piercing through. And it's it's weird because it's wondrous and it's cool and it's um it's this amazing visual spectacle, but it's also kind of scary in scenes like that, oh, especially yeah. mm-hmm. because you don't fully understand it and you never get a clear view of what's going on until more so the end obviously right and yeah i think as a as a film in terms of like constructing a movie it's pretty great yeah yeah all the pieces work one of the things i love about spielberg and we talk about him a lot on this podcast because he just makes movies that lend themselves to this podcast um but a lot of directors write movies that feel like they're in their own universe Mm. Quentin Tarantino, we talk about the Tarantino verse all the time, right? Or if you have someone like George Lucas, he creates the Star Wars universe. Yes. But you know, the Coen Brothers feels like like there's there's our world and then there's the Coen Brothers world where everybody talks with like uh, biblical references <laughs> and you know uh, and characters uh, move like cartoon characters and like 
all these directors feel like they have their own little insulated spheres of filmmaking. Steven Spielberg movies feel like they exist in our universe. Yeah. All the time. Every Spielberg movie, although crazy science fiction shit happens, although the aliens come and land, although a giant shark uh, haunts um, Cape Cod, like they are still of our universe and they are saying things about our world right now. Mm -hmm. They are in that way both otherworldly and contemporary. And Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the reason why it works so well for me is it always feels that way. Like, although that scene at the end with the massive spaceship and the aliens coming out is is a wondrous spectacle, and although it feels otherworldly, still feels like it's happening in our backyard. Yeah. Because these mm-hmm. characters are so real. Um, this is just a movie about a father going insane and having a midlife crisis, or at least that's the way I've always sure. perceived it. Um, it's about a guy that's sort of sick of his life, sick of his job, sick of his lack of purpose, finding his purpose. And finding something that he can communicate with and attach himself to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I think about this movie, sure, I think about those incredible shots. But I also think about him sitting at the dinner table, stacking the gravy or the mashed potatoes <laughs> on top of itself mm-hmm. and his kids crying because their dad is going insane. Yeah. Or the fight scene that he has with Terry Gar. Terry Gar's great in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dreyfus is also great in this movie. Like, it's just uh, the movie about the disintegration of an, of an American family. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't get more human than that, even though it's a movie about an alien spaceship. <laughs> um, that's Spielberg. And that's why E.T. is one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. I don't think it's as good as E.T., but I think it's bumping up on the a lot of the same ideas as E.T. bumped up on. Yeah. And uh, I adore it. I think it's a fucking masterpiece, if you want my <laughs> honest opinion on it. Yeah. That's where I might back up. I'm not convinced it's a masterpiece. Okay. It's it's quite excellent. Uh, they, like I said, there's some narrative choices that aren't deeply compelling. And there's some, like I said, some character choices that are a little odd. E- even if you're going to tell the story about a guy having a midlife crisis, which I think is great. Um, I, I'm not sure it works to have him, you know, do what he ultimately does with, with, with that random person he meets. It's just odd to me. Yeah. I don't totally believe it. It's not, it's not, I don't know. It's not presented to me in a way that I think is completely authentic, but I, I think I, again, what makes this movie work in terms of its characters are just the way they react to what's going on, the handling of that and how it's like this global thing. And you kind of get a, a strange idea of like how this is affecting everybody. Right. But in a, like you said, in a way that feels very like of our world and, uh, it's it is funny because I see a lot of movies like this and I just think they're you know just too far fetched for their own good and I'm just like there's no way this would happen but there is something about this that's oddly grounded it's like this and Arrival are very similar yeah movies. very very I mean, similar Spielberg understands the suburbs man yeah he understands the dynamics of the American family if you're gonna do that again especially in the 70s because this is more of a breakdown of families in the 70s than say like the 50s or the the 60s or something and it works very well to place you in there because that's essentially the atmosphere of most American families in the 70s right you know and why it is you know very personal in that way as opposed to I don't know interstellar uh, I was reading about this. Interstellar is a very personal movie. How oh, yeah, dare yeah. you? You think uh, so? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the film was partly inspired by an experience Spielberg had during his childhood when, without warning, his parents rushed the children into their car one night, drove to an area where many others were gathered, and watched a spectacular meteor shower. Oh. Um, so that was the inspiration. James Lipton of Inside the Actor's Studio, one of the great film shows ever. 
fucking love James Lipton. James fucking Lipton. <laughs> what is your favorite swear word? <laughs> Jabril, you got to get a James Lipton impression going. You got to do a, it. I was a pimp in France in the 60s. That's not that good. But he was a pimp in the, in the 60s. <laughs> James Lipton was a pimp? I believe so, yes. You That's can look that up. Weird. Holy shit. Do you know James Lipton's like 100? What? <laughs> He's still alive? Dude, he's so fucking... No, he's alive and he looks great. What? You're full of shit. Let me look this up right now. Completely. James Lipton age. He's 93. Oh Jesus God. Christ. Look how... Look at that. Looks Whoa. great for 93. Wow. Holy shit, he um. does. <laughs> wow. This man does not age. He looks great. What the hell's wrong with him? That's weird. That's very weird. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with him. Everything's right with him. No, it's too good that it's wrong. It's all that pimping. <laughs> On the Epstein list, that's what's wrong. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, God, I hope not. What, my father used to watch that show growing up, so it was always on. He would watch Bravo, and the actor studio, I think, was on it like Sunday nights. I love Will Ferrell interviewing the, I don't remember who played her, but Drew Barrymore as when she's a little Oh, older. yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and Saturday Night, Night Live, yeah. it's so fucking funny. But yeah. If, if you want some good inside the actor studio, you got to do Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. You you actually probably got to do Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey was really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was good actually. Incredible impressions mm-hmm. on that. Um, and then Alec Baldwin, Alec really Baldwin's good. Always great. Yeah, really good interview. I like Alec Baldwin in interviews more than I do with anything he ever does in his movies. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, these these movies are interesting. By the way, two movies coming up that my mom thinks is just abhorrently boring okay well we'll yeah. talk about those in a second um but no lipton anyway said of <laughs> close encounters when spielberg was on the show quote your father was a computer engineer your mother was a concert pianist and when the spaceship lands they make music together on the computer so he takes it as like spielberg trying to will his parents back together mm. that that's what that ending represents it's like the combination of music and technology being the bridge they do eventually get back together his parents do yep oh really Oh, I didn't know that. That guy has it too good. <laughs> I want Spielberg to just have a tragedy, honestly. Something terrible has to happen to Sp- Steven Spielberg. They're going to find this, and I'm, I'm, I'm never going to... Yeah, it's me. called The Adventures of Tintin. That's the bad oh, thing that yeah, happened yeah. to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and I've never seen it. Maybe it's okay. I don't fucking know. It's called a War Horse. <laughs> Fuck that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dreyfus... Honestly, you could have given him a nomination for this movie, too. I he's mean, he wins good. for the Goodbye Girl, but he's excellent in it. Oh, God, yeah. Most of his interactions with his kids, I can't get enough of. Yeah. Like, most of the movie, like, even when, like, the quote-unquote cool stuff is not going on, like, I just love seeing him, you know, like, screw around with his kids and play with his mashed potatoes and yep. stuff. Like, it's just great, great human stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's another Richard Dreyfus movie we're talking about two weeks in a row. This is an American Graffiti. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, he's just really good in this and i guess he was just one of those guys right place right time you don't really think about him as like one of our great american actors but no. he was just there when all the shit was going down he was hanging out with yeah. lucas he was hanging out with spielberg and yeah. he's hanging out with spielberg because they're fellow jews together of course like the, <laughs> he had this funny ass i mean st- all the jews in hollywood know each other right I mean, <laughs> when they run the world and all <laughs> when i went and saw jaws on 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 uh in the theater and he was there he was just all he was talking about was how how uh, him and Steven were just too, like, Jewy for their own good and stuff like that. It was just so funny. Me and Steven would, like, lather ourselves up with lotion in the sun because we would burn. 
Uh yeah, Dreyfus is so good at melting down. Yeah. That's like mm-hmm. it's this and what about Bob prove it. <laughs> this guy <laughs> character unravelings are his sweet spot, I would say. I say it every time. I'm going to kill you, Bob. I'm going to kill you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Close Encounters. It's not thought of as one of his best movies, but it's also one of his iconic movies. Like, I would say so. It's one of those mm-hmm. even if you haven't seen it, you know it. Very important in the realm of special effects. Certainly. It was overshadowed, but... It was overshadowed this year, that is true. But, again, like, it's amazing. I mean, yes, I don't know. No, this guy's great, got, like, 20 amazing movies. It's a, yes, it's, it is a great, great, amazing, awesome movie. And I actually like the presence of uh, Francois Truffaut. I love his movies to death, and uh, it's cool to see him in an acting role. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he, like, barely spoke English. Yeah. No. He's French, dude. What do you want from him? Good point. <laughs> He barely spoke English. I was happy that he was speaking Chinese, but I... It's like Tamron Hall on the red carpet. Remember when she asked Bong Joon-ho, like, why'd you make the movie in Korean? Oh, my God. Did she ask Did that? that? She asked, yes. Why didn't see that? Fuck. Tamron Hall's on the red carpet, and she goes, yeah. What what inspired you to make this movie in Korean? Please tell me he just answered, because I'm Korean. I didn't see the answer. But yeah, maybe the fact that he was born in Korea, raised in Korea, and made his first five movies in Korea. Maybe that's why he decided to make it in that language. It's possible. Just a, I don't know. I doubt it, honestly, but it's possible. Just a thought, Tamron. (laughs) What a fucking idiot. Uh, Do you want to talk about Star Wars? Yeah, sure. Let's do Annie Hall. You guys want to do Annie Hall? In a minute. He okay. wants to save it, yeah. Okay. He wants That's to save no it, don't he? In a minute. Okay. Uh, I have some facts about Star Wars for you. I probably know them okay. all. It was written and directed by George Lucas. Did you know that? No, I didn't actually. Starred Mark Hamill, Ooh. Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Alec Guinness, and James Earl Jones. Uncredited. Yeah, he didn't want to be credited because he saw himself as a special effect and not an actual perf- uh, performer in the movie. There you go. Winner of Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Sound, Film Editing, Visual Effects, and Original Score, John Williams. Most Oscar nominations ever, John Williams? He's like 45 or something. Didn't he just get nominated? Yeah, it was like Skywalker again. He's just breaking his record. It's like obligatory. Yeah, well, just give me the nomination. Yeah, but you like wrote that score 40 years ago, dude. I know. It's freaking. You don't get credit for it now. (laughs) There's a few new tunes in this one. I don't know. Great movie, by the way. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor. Uh, you know who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor? Guinness? Yeah. Weird choice in hindsight, don't you think? I think he's quite good in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but Harrison Ford is better, no? Yeah, they're great in their own ways. Okay. Uh, also, yeah, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay. Uh, AFI named it the number one film score of all time. It's fine. The number two <laughs> sci-fi film behind only 2001. Okay. Number 27, Thriller. Number 39, Inspirational. Number 8, Movie Quote. For May the Force Be With You. Number 14, Hero. For Han Solo. Number 37, <laughs> Hero. For Obi-Wan Kenobi. Number 3, Villain. Guess who was ahead of him on the on the uh, villain list? Club, ahead of Darth Vader. Clubber Lang. No. Damn. Uh, ahead of him. Fuck. Because uh, I couldn't think of two better. Well, that's the weird... The shark from Jaws? No. Hans Gruber? Hans Gruber. No, no but uh, yeah, that you could consider that. The Lord Humongous. <laughs> uh, I, uh, Norman Bates? Norman Bates, okay, number two. Okay. Uh, God, I, I should be better at this. Norman Bates. I kind of disagree with the number one. I'll just say that. 
the movie I've seen, obviously. Of course. Uh, the, the, the truck from Duel. No. Hannibal Lecter. Oh, uh, okay. Mm. Not really a villain. No, not, not exactly. I mean, yes. He's more Yoda than he is Darth Vader, isn't he? <laughs> In that movie? I think he's a little closer to Yoda. I mean, Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think he's a little closer to Darth Vader, but I, I see your point. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, number 13 movie of all time. Okay. According to AFI. Uh, here's the synopsis for this movie, in case you've never seen it. Luke Skywalker joins forces with a Jedi Knight, a cocky pilot, a Wookiee, and two droids to save the galaxy from the Empire's world-destroying battle station while also attempting to rescue Princess Leia from the mysterious Darth Vader. If you had to guess how many listeners of this podcast have never seen Star Wars, what would your number be? Mm, About, I don't know, one and a half. Yeah, I'd put the over-under at one and a half, I think. Yeah. (laughs) And I might yeah. take the under on that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck do you want me to say about this, dude? What are we supposed to say? I'm actually not particularly interested in talking about Star Wars. I've been talking about it my whole life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say? It's like, I love every conceivable thing about this. It, it is a masterpiece. It is. It, it has earned its legacy because it's phenomenal in pretty much every respect. I think the direction in a lot of ways is underrated. And I think... That opening shot alone is is the most brilliant thing George Lucas has maybe ever done mm-hmm. and illustrating a point and you get the entire story just in about 10 seconds. It's awesome. Mm. It's fucking awesome. Unlike The Rise of Skywalker, which takes you two and a half hours to understand the story. <laughs> No. And not a second is wasted. We don't want to talk about the sequel trilogy. Including now. that opening crawl. If we talk about the... <laughs> <laughs> the dead speak! Well... We got it. We, we, we can't do this. Dead we're, speak, bro. We're not opening up this can of worms. We're not. We're, now closing the worms. Yeah. Closing it. We want just plain old, good old-fashioned Star Wars before it was a new hope. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to call it a new hope. I'm just calling it Star Wars. I've always called it Star Wars. Yeah, some people call it a new hope. I don't. Yeah. Uh, Jabril, anything to say about Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> its legacy is not great. Mm. Explain that. It's mixed, in my opinion. It's not a movie anymore. It's a multi-billion-dollar franchise and a brand and a lifestyle, and it almost overshadows the movies, which is very sad. But it's it's created a lot of negative things in culture and the film industry, and you can't even see the original movies really anymore. You have to pirate them. Yep. They're not on Blu-ray. They're not on streaming here. You have the on Disney Plus versions here. Disney Plus. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. You have the new versions. Yeah, you can't get. The yeah, the new versions. Oh. Yeah. You could buy the despecialized editions now. Some, Can you? On a few places, yes. You have to go to like those, where? Like special websites. There's no. You can't buy them. On, you, you can't buy yeah, them like on Beijing. Like, where can you get? No, you can get. They cost a lot of Chinatown? money. Chinatown. Where are they available? You barter with them. That's how it works. Compton. Where can I find Compton. old Star Wars? <laughs> it's in like a, the reactor of Chernobyl. I okay. Just yeah, I was gonna say. I don't know where you could find them. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's now Coca Cola. Yep. Star Wars is Coca Cola. It's it's not even a movie anymore. Um, although, yeah, on its own, this is a great movie. Yeah. Funny, yeah. funny enough, it was actually on TBS yesterday, and I caught the scene where Luke opens this the uh, lightsaber for the first time mm-hmm. uh, with Obi Wan, and like that's just movie magic. The whole thing is mm-hmm. movie magic. It's the epitome of movie magic. Uh, the first time I, when was the first time you watched Star Wars? Let's, let's dude. Do this. I don't remember. It's one of the first movies I ever saw. Uh-huh. Uh I would say my first memory of seeing it all the way through. God, I must have been like seven or eight. 
uh-huh. something like that. You know, I I had seen like like clips of it throughout my childhood, but never like sat down to like watch one of the movies. It wasn't until a little bit later, like I said, around like a little before I was ten, where I was like I saw every single one of the originals. Jabril, so. do you remember? Uh, around that same age, around six or seven, I think. Yeah, first I was time- not impressed. Oh, wow, really? I, I actually remember being upset watching these movies, too, interestingly enough, because, uh, like I said, when I was younger, I, I hated seeing people die in movies, mm. and, you know, and then I saw Alien and <laughs> How things... How far you've come! No, I know, right? <laughs> and then I saw Alien and things changed, and then I rewatched these, and I'm like, oh, yeah, these I movies I do love are... death. <laughs> yeah, I do love death. Oh, it makes sense. No, I remember, like, when I saw Darth Vader, like, choke someone out, I was like, ew, that's wrong, mm. I don't like this, don't kill him, <laughs> what did he do? Yeah, I remember being upset, yeah. Yeah. But I was older than you, I think. Yeah. I, I I saw it. It was 2005. That's when episode wow. three came out. So ah, I was 10 years old. Okay. And I remember seeing trailers for episode three. And I'm sure like they were giving away toys at McDonald's or something for Star Wars. And my brother and I were obsessed with this idea. We, we had not seen any of the movies, but we were obsessed with the idea of Star Wars. You know, just because I wanted to be in, in on the I want to be in the loop because everybody else was so into it, especially our age. And so we went to this old video store called Hollywood Video. It was uh, in Southington on Queen Street. Um, And uh, this means nothing to the listeners. I'm just explaining to Adam. And uh, we rented the first movie. And that day we we went to a mall. Mm. I think the mall was maybe, was it in White Plains, New York, I think? So it was like a two-hour drive. Okay. We were in the car, and my uncle, we borrowed his car that day, and his car at the time had a DVD player in Mm. the car, and it was so fucking fancy. This was way before smartphones or anything. And we watched Star Wars in the fucking car on a monitor about four inches wide. Yep, I know exactly. That's that's the first time we watched Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Everyone else's experience was like in a movie theater. It, It was a totally isolated, magical, wondrous thing. And my brother and I are sitting there. The volume is cutting in and out. There's bumps along the road. We're getting distracted by traffic. And we're on this little tiny monitor watching Darth Vader and Obi-Wan fight on the Death Star for the first time. (laughs) Um, And here's how you know this movie's so good. That day changed my fucking life. (laughs) It changed my life in that context. (laughs) Immediately, I made my dad go back to the video store that night. And we rented the next couple of movies and we watched them all within, I think, the next weekend immediately just banged them out Um, like that's the magic of Star Wars. Like you can watch it even on the smallest screen. It's not just a spectacle for a movie theater. It is like just intrinsically part of who children are, I think. Mm -hmm. It's it's ingrained in our being. Oh, yeah. Um, And yeah, of course, it's one of the most important things to me ever made um, because, uh, yeah, it's. Like important to everyone, and that's why I get so fucking mad when J.J. Abrams ruins it. It's a funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I watched all three of the originals recently, and I think they hold up like kind of gloriously. Oh yeah, they're really not that dated at all. There's a few like shots here and there, but like for the most part, you can watch that whole thing and really never be taken out of it. Right. Um, it's funny. I don't see the Star Wars franchise as like this megalomaniacal thing until honestly very recently yeah i mean it was a big well, until disney got its yeah. dirty hands on it like honestly even during the prequels i didn't really see it as that i mean it was a big thing obviously and it was making billions of dollars but i didn't exactly see it as like you know this evil corporate venture you know because it was still really in the hands of lucas very much in the hands of lucas to a fault yeah um 
But yeah, it wasn't until Disney where I'm like, oh, f- oh God, Star Wars is being a little defiled here, and I don't like that. Yeah, you know. So I don't know. I know. I do don't you think the response. Sorry, do you think the response to Star Wars via the industry at the time of its original release was evil? Because that certainly changed the film industry in a lot of negative ways. Bigger. I mean, so did Jaws, right? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. in a way, this is a byproduct of Jaws. Yeah. So. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't know the, the, <sighs> I have no problem with blockbusters. No, Can I, I say that? I have no problem with them. You know, I, it's, it's, mm. I think we need them. I think it's important that we have them. You don't think there's too many of them? I do think there's too of many. Of course I think there's too many of them, but I still think that <laughs> there is a place for movies that everyone sees and everyone talks about and everyone enjoys. Like monoculture, right. it still has value. Yeah. So of course, like we need the five or six movies a year that cost three hundred million dollars that everyone talks about for a week. Um, I just wish like the level of quality out of those movies was higher. But that it's not like I'm not. It's hard to blame Star Wars for that. Yeah, it's just, exactly. It's just because when they thought when they had too much of a quote unquote good thing with the amount of money that was getting thrown at movies, they thought they could be lazy and just you know do whatever. Every every blockbuster film that costs 150 million dollars should be more of an auteur piece. I think that's what most filmmakers. Are striving for anyway most like blockbuster films yeah but i also know that that's inconceivable i know i mm-hmm. i understand that I, but it'd be nice if they were given a little more leeway like every i want like every action movie to have the 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 amount of vision that like fury road has you know or 2049 i just want like if you're gonna spend that much money on a movie it better be really fucking good yeah and like at, at, at this rate i mean yeah 150 million dollars does not guarantee a good movie and that's a little weird Certainly, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I've never found Star Wars lazy, though. Let me no. just say that. I've never found Star Wars lazy. Are you sure? Well, I just found Star Wars lazy <laughs> last year. But up until then, like, I don't find Solo lazy. I don't find Rogue One lazy. I, I may not love them, but I don't find them lazy. And I certainly don't find the prequels lazy. No. Like, there's a lot of effort put into those things. <laughs> Jabril disagrees. You okay. don't? No, I don't I, find no, no I, don't, I don't at all. I don't find them late. I just think the choices were bad. Yeah. Mm. I think George Lucas took a million swings for the fences and struck out every single time. Yeah, but for the most part. That's not lazy. That's just incompetent. Mm-hmm. I can deal with incompetent. <laughs> yeah. I can't deal with lazy. I don't even hate the prequels. Like I they're not the, the two of them are really bad, but I don't like even hate those movies. Again, they there's far worse out there, and there's even some things to enjoy in the Phantom Menace. But uh yeah. It's it's when I, when I think of like my ill feelings towards Star Wars, it it has. Uh, I feel like I've grown out of like that 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 trend of hating the prequels. At, at this point, it's like you know what, I understand what they are, and there's honestly artistically more admiration to be had there than what we've been getting. So certainly, you know, I feel like I've grown up to the point where it's like you know what, for the most part, I still think Star Wars is a good thing in terms of just the films, you mm-hmm. know, in that mm-hmm. bubble, but um. Yeah, the legacy is an interesting question still, though, because it's, I mean, again, it, it it made it so that the industry could stay alive, certainly. Certainly. Mm-hmm. You know, and like a lot of good things did come of it. It's just a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, when, when you have something that's so big and so important, there's going to be a lot of bad things, too. If you want to see Parasite in a movie theater, you need Star Wars to keep the lights on in the movie theater. In a way. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. So it's an ends justified the means situation. But it's not just that. I mean, some studios have no interest in making the Parasite here. They'd rather make the Star Wars. They'd rather not distribute the Parasite. Yeah, that's okay. But I know I I do find I'm okay with that trade off. Like as long as AMC theaters leaves room for a couple A24 movies every year, 
I'm okay with Disney only making superhero shit. I mean, I have that Scorsese logic where it's like, it's okay if you want to make your big budget movies, but don't discount Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig mm-hmm. and Bong Joon-ho or any of those guys. But they're still working. And by the way, I'm sure they all love Star Wars. No, well, that's a, most most filmmakers are not gonna bash the original three Star Wars films. Aside from I don't know, fucking Gaspar Noé. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a weird one. Well, he, well, he's he's gone out and said that he fucking hates Star Wars. So, <laughs> oh, shut up, Gaspar yeah. Noé. Go go crush somebody's skull with a fire extinguisher, will you? <laughs> <laughs> this movie is wonderful. It's wonderful. It's it, it's got a, a tremendous impact, legacy, and it's just like a brilliant film. It really is. It's- stream it on Disney Plus. And by the way, you can stream Close Encounters of the Third Kind on Crackle. <laughs> Crackle. Yeah. For free. Annie Hall. Written and directed by Woody Allen. Starring Woody Allen, Diane Keaton, Paul Simon, Shelley Duvall, and Christopher Walken. Winner of Best Picture, Director, Actress, and Original Screenplay. The only Oscar that it lost that year was for Best Actor for Woody. AFI named it the number four comedy of all time. Number 11 love story of all time. Number 90 movie song for Seems Like Old Times. Number 55 movie quote for la-di-da, (laughs) la-di-da. Number two rom-com of all time. And the number 31 motion picture ever made. Neurotic New York comedian Alvy Singer falls in love with the ditzy Annie Hall. Jabril, you watched this for the first time today. I did indeed. You have the floor. Fuck this movie. Whoa! Oh, he Fuck doesn't... this self-indulgent piece of dog shit. <laughs> fuck oh, Woody the... Allen. Woo! Fuck <laughs> this movie. And oh. fuck anybody who loves this movie. This is... Nashville all over sidewalk. again, baby. I love it, except this is dog much worse. Dookie. Okay. <laughs> I can't tell if he's being serious or not. Oh, no, I'm dead serious. I posted this question, Nico, on the watch. I said, I just watched Woody Allen. I just watched Annie Hall for the first time. Uh, let me just, sorry, one second. I'm going to pull up the exact question. Go on. Say something. No, take your time. <laughs> okay. You can have the floor for this, Nico. <laughs> I said, just finished Annie Hall, uh, my first experience with Woody Allen. So it's supposed Where? to be. A- you never seen a Woody Allen movie? No, this is my first one. It's a fine one to start with. Continue. Uh, So it's supposed to be insufferable, right? Or do I have to be a part of the New York intelligentsia in order to get this? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I didn't expect that. (laughs) Nico, it's fine. Like, you and and I both love this movie, but you can... uh, No, has there ever been a hotter take ever on this podcast? I don't think so. No, a lot of people agree with me on the post and the watch. You oh, can go wait a minute. Is the, the, this is not the hottest take ever on, on no, recording don't like Woody audio? Allen. No, I think this is by far the hottest take. I think take. it's by, by far, far away. away the hottest take. It's only like one of I the mean, most... I mean, is this worse than me hating Ghostbusters? I mean, it's up there. <laughs> I mean, what's hot, what's a hotter take? I would call this probably a hotter take. Uh, they're, for my money, they're about even. Okay. I, no, I think you just broke my record. Jabril for that's hot as take on this, this it, show. I ever. would give it like a hair above Ghostbusters. Okay. Um and no one gives a fuck about Nashville. That's my take. So <laughs> no, people love Nashville. Yeah, Nashville. whatever. Fuck Nashville. <laughs> okay. So Jabril has never seen a Woody Allen movie before. Mm. And now he sees this one. It's like the Woody Allen film. The Woody Allen movie. <laughs> so um 
Ironically enough, not Woody Allen's favorite movie of Woody Allen. Yeah, I, I believe that it's, mm-hmm. it would be his best. I think he has favorite. like a lot of regret about this one. I think like I've read interviews where he's like, yeah, I really wanted to make this about an isolated neurotic man. But the more time I spent on it, the more it became about the romance and the more the audience was concerned with Annie Hall. And it sort of I, I lost the meaning there, um, which Okay, that's fair. I've heard a lot of directors say a lot weirder things about their own movies. I disagree with them um, because, of course, this movie means a ton to me. Mm-hmm. Um, explain what you mean by that, Jabril. What do you What do you mean by uh, th- that uh, it's indulgent and that you have to be a part of the New York intelligentsia in order to understand it? Okay, well, it's definitely yeah. indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> it's so up its own ass. That's it what- seems just so proud of itself. It's just... Would you say that? It's proud of itself? Yes. Hmm. I might disagree. Just the upper crust of society, just having these, oh, such these deep, deep conversations about (laughs) shit, and just wanking off into oblivion here. It just... And this fucking child predator just <laughs> indulging himself on okay, screen for yeah. 40 years. You don't think he's Alleged. Like, alleged. You don't, you don't think it's me. mocking those those conversations just a little you know, bit? I, I thought that somewhat, but then I think he's t- I think he's towing a line, but not very effectively. I think he's very much in love with himself. Yeah, that's true. I would probably say that he, he won't admit it to himself, but he probably does. Well, <sighs> but that's sort of his his interesting flaw. Okay, just obnoxious people rambling for like an hour and a half. Yeah, all right, that's, that's fair. all it was. Okay, yeah. Let, let's 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 really have a discussion about this. Yes, yes, so, yes. Go ahead. Um, yes. Woody Allen is responsible for everything I love in the world. I'm so sorry. No, well, besides little girls, I suppose. But (laughs) what? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, That was a horrible joke. I'll stay away from the pedophile jokes from here on out. Uh, Please, yeah, no, I he he is responsible for like the style and the cinematic voice that has always spoken to me. It's like Noah Baumbach and Mm -hmm. Seinfeld and Richard Linklater. They all owe their life and their careers to Woody Allen. Like when Jason Alexander auditioned to be George Costanza, he's very upfront about this. He's like, yeah, I was just doing a Woody Allen impression. Okay. I just watched Annie Hall and I studied Woody and I just did that. And that was the role model for like a neurotic self-obsessed egomaniac that doesn't understand the world around him. Um, and that in many ways lives to recount the own experiences of his life. Like that's Woody Allen's character in this movie. He's a stand-up comic and uh, you know, every experience, every heartbreak that he endures, he does so, so he can talk about it on stage later. Yes. Uh, Noah Baumbach's the same way. It feels like every element of Noah Baumbach's life is, is material to be mined for, for a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, his divorce, his childhood, whatever. It's it's all fair game. And um, look, that's just a voice that I've not only uh, always vibed with, but like, I think I model a lot of myself around a character like this. And, and I'm not always proud of that detail, but I'm a fucking neurotic mess a lot of the time. And I spend a lot of my time just analyzing what's wrong with me and what's wrong with the world and like trying to come to terms with this confusing reality that I exist in. And mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, I guess that's indulgent, but I'm indulgent. Like, what do you want from me, dude? And Woody Allen is definitely indulgent. And I relate to that and see a lot of myself in it. And uh, I love movies for this reason. 
So I, I love art for this reason. I love the autobiographical elements of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, sure, I don't enjoy talking about Broadway, and I don't live in Manhattan, and I don't wear scarves, and I don't go to museums. So I get that sometimes the uh, the hipster elements of this, or like the high society elements of this, can be annoying and off putting. And I'm I'm with you on that. But just in general, like the vibe of this movie is uh, in many ways responsible for my taste in pop culture. Yeah. I like Louis, so that's, I, I suppose that's, that's sure. fair. Yeah. 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 He's also a pervert, so there's that too. Yeah, the, yes, <laughs> these guys lot, are perverts. A lot of that guy too. Like, it's hard not to love, like, if you love Woody mm. Allen, it's like, it's hard not to love someone like like Louie because they're just mm. so in in line with one another in that way. Right. Except Louie's probably even darker. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. for, for me though, I mean, I just, I love, I love the, 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 the relationship with Woody and I mean, not Alvy and, and, and Annie Hall. And I think it's incredibly touching and interesting. And it, it could have, it, it's weird because I find the movie like, like, sad but uplifting at the same time and i think where they end up is 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 pretty inspiring and i think like if you're when it comes down to like relationships and on the whole like if you're if you're not gonna commit to somebody if you're not gonna end up in like a nicer spot by the end of it all it's nice to be able to 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 look at it i guess the way that someone like alvy and uh annie hall ultimately do I love that stuff, and I mean, I love the uh, uh, Woody's voice in this this thing, and I love how self referential it is, and it's interesting to see someone try to deconstruct themselves in doing just as good and bad of a job at it at the same time. Yeah, that's what's and Woody being as flawed as he is is kind of what keeps it going for me. Where it's like every you're right though. It's like you you look at like those things and you say fuck this guy, fuck this this environment, fuck this movie, and he's constantly commenting on it. And mm-hmm. you can take that and be like, okay, he's just in love with himself, but I kind of take it as, okay, you can respond to that by sort of criticizing it in, 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 in a way that the movie meant to be deliberate about. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. almost like he's not entirely self-aware while he's being self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, exactly. it's, like his internal monologue is is not just like laying out all of his character beats yeah. for you. No, it well th- this this is the thing is that like he will make mistakes in in what he's talking about, but that's kind of interesting to me. Right. Like in, in his his perspective on life is is, you know, equally as like okay, like it's comforting, but it's completely messy and it, it, at times it doesn't even make sense. And while you might say, screw this guy, he's a piece of shit, I'm just kind of oddly fascinated by that dynamic. Certainly. That strange back and forth with, like, I have total control, yet I have absolutely no control. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I vibe with it tremendously as well. I don't vibe with it in, like, a, a directorial feat necessarily. Oh, it's, I disagree. It's more of a writing feat, if anything. Well, sir, of it, course. It, there's there's not a single shot in this movie that you remember, which is fine. Oh, that's not true. Yeah. That's 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 just totally false. Yeah, it is. It's not a movie where it's like I show you a frame and you know what movie that is. I it's remember you. Marshall McLuhan being wheeled out there in the movie theater. <laughs> Greatest scene in the movie. Great scene. No, but I remember the animation. I you know I, I yes. uh, of the like the fairy tale. I remember a lot of that. I, I'm stuff. just saying it's it's not like a it's, the movie is not known for its its visuals. It's more known for its screenplay and its characters. Which is fine. See, I was going to point that out to you, though. I actually think the cinematography here is quite good. Mm. And this is a Gordon Willis movie. Yeah. And Gordon Willis, mm-hmm. I, I would probably call him one of the two or three best cinematographers 
of all time. The dude shot the Godfather. Yep. Um, so you know, it's good. It's I'm not saying something. It, I'm not saying it's bad. But it's I, not like it doesn't do its job well. Woody often says though that like working with Gordon Willis took me up a notch as a director. Like beforehand, I was just doing quirky comedies, like everything you wanted to know about sex, and we're too afraid yep. to ask. <laughs> Um, and he, he was just strictly a satirist. Like he was just working with parody and silly ideas. And Gordon Willis comes in and I think inspires him as like a director and does stuff visually that that's a lot more inventive than stuff we're used to in, in Woody Allen movies. And I think that's why we consider him one of the great filmmakers of all time is because of this movie. There's a lot of awesome stuff The the subtitles, while they're mm. laying in bed having a conversation yeah. with each other translating their their uh, subconscious and uh as of course the Marshall McLuhan thing like there's a, so much inventiveness here yep. it's oddly cerebral when it does stuff like that too yeah. this whole movie is like like again just like you suck the juices of Woody Allen's head and just splatted <laughs> it onto the screen essentially right but I, I again and i like stuff like that too i wouldn't say it's like it's not. I'm not saying it's a bad-looking movie at all. It's yeah. not. It's. In, I'm not saying it's not well shot. It's just when I think of uh, movies that pop, it's it, visually. This is not that. And I don't mean like, oh my god, saturated colors. It's, I mean, it's not Lawrence of Arabia. No, I, I, I get that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I think yeah, I will for a romantic comedy yeah. about a bunch of neurotic people living in New York in 1977. This is a yeah. fairly visually inventive movie. Well, I think the thing is, I think of Manhattan before this, which I think okay. is incredibly visually compelling sure so well that gets credit because it's in black and white too but it just comes up with so much more imagery that sticks with me i don't Uh know i think this is a better movie than manhattan yeah it is it is yeah um so back to jabril for a second yeah so Mm. we love this movie have we convinced you no or no there's no way no, I think I like the the generation that came after Alan here, who were inspired by Alan. You know, the Louis C.K.s, the Seinfelds, uh, the Curb Your Enthusiasms. But I just I could not get this one, unfortunately. That's fine. Hey, Nico, there's nothing wrong with that. Look, it I, may just be I just hate Woody Allen, the man, and the man is reflective in the work, and I just I can't stand the man, so that might be coloring my. <laughs> but this is another interesting conversation, and this is compl- honestly it's separate and apart from the movies, but that's sort of the issue here it's like how do you judge the, you 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 should be able to judge the the art before the artist in a way i mean i will always love a roman polanski film even if well, he's a complete bastard it's a bit different because the art is so personal and yeah, he's right. in a good yeah, number of his true. films and his personality is in scripts and his voice is in all the characters so it's hard not to really and his views in the world and so on and so forth could you watch like i don't know could you watch blue jasmine and feel a little better or Zelig. I'm meaning to watch that one. We'll see. You might like Blue Jasmine. You'd, you'd probably like Zelig. Zelig is mm. is much different than this, and it's my favorite Woody Allen film, honestly. Aside, from, this is pretty close, honestly. So, but is it hard for you so. guys to separate the art from the artist when it's so personal in this case? Mm. It's like it's harder. Uh, I still feel like I've been able to do it effectively. Yeah, because well, with, with Louis C.K., like I've not watched Louis in a while because there are some things where it's. Yeah, I know. Eerie, eerie, eerily reflective of life. Manhattan's a little more personal in terms of, I think, Woody yeah. Allen's like like strangeness. So. Yeah, strangeness. <laughs> well, you you are right that there is a difference between like Thriller and Annie Hall, right? Like, right. There's mm-hmm. there's nothing in Beat It that suggests child rape. So, well, except well, for the title, yeah. I guess. But there's, <laughs> there's, no, you know what I'm saying? There, there's, there's nothing in Billy Jean that makes you think, oh, Michael Jackson, that's a gross guy. Yeah. But then you watch something like Manhattan, and Woody is 
dating an underage girl in that movie. That is part of the plot of Manhattan. There's mm-hmm. there's sex with an underage girl featured in that movie, um, or at least hinted at. So yes, is there a difference? Sure. Same with Louis. Like there mm-hmm. are several mentions of masturbation in Woody Allen's scripts. Yeah. I watched that movie. Um, uh, uh, what's the one that got shelved right when the accusations came? Oh, out. oh, uh, I love you, Daddy. I love, I love you, Daddy. Daddy. I watched that one, and that one has references to masturbation, and he was like busted for that. A week mm-hmm. before the movie was slated to come out. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's an obvious difference. I, as a consumer of art, have never had any problem with that whatsoever. But that is just like my wiring. And I don't begrudge anyone for yeah. having like moral qualms with it. I've I've always been able to watch it as an artifact. That's me. And even if like the art suggests negative behavior in the real world, that's just like part of the product. Yeah. And I can enjoy that without like supporting the guy's actions. I don't know. Like there's a difference because a guy that, again, we all love back to David Lynch is that I, there's some autobiographical text in a lot of his work, you know, going through reading all that here. And it's, I don't, it's, it's, it, it adds to the art and uh, we don't know for sure what kind of guy he's David Lynch is. We, he, he's a pervert. Let's just say he's a pervert, right? <laughs> David Lynch. Well, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> He's a good pervert, though. We'll we'll see, but yeah, that's another He's example. He's a lovable of... pervert. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But... No, but I, I again, I I just think like that's that's part of the artifact. It's like you know, yeah. reading about the Holocaust in a history book. Like, does the Holocaust offend me? Sure. Like, yeah, that was a bad thing that happened. But am I going to stop reading the history book because the Holocaust is in there? No, I would argue that it yeah. makes it even more urgent to read that chapter. Yes, that's that's what I was getting at. I was rambling, so it may the, the, your mileage may vary. But knowing the the exploits of the artist are reflective in the work might help uh, enhance your experience with the text itself. A, a, yes, a, yes, exactly what I mean to say. Um, yes. But there is an interesting line to draw here because, I mean, you do have to wonder, like, if you do get too personal with this, it's like, it, mm. do you sort of back up on it? Like, I have to admit, it would be hard for me to go to a show to see Louis C.K. Yeah. With, without that just being distracting. I couldn't. Well, necess- I think the line there yeah. is, though, there's there's a difference between consuming the guy's art and then now it, uh helping him out financially i think yeah. that's part of the problem okay well, having how about too. seeing him on, on tv and doing a stand-up it'd be like i i would still probably enjoy the comedy but mm-hmm. in the back of my mind it would still probably Man, be there this is look yeah I, i'm interested yeah I, that that only makes me more interested maybe that no makes me mm-hmm. like a, a weird consumer of art <laughs> but there is maybe i'm the minority but i'm really interested in seeing what louis ck would say yeah. on a stand-up stage yeah. I, i'm really interested no i am certainly interested i'm not sure i would enjoy it the same way i would some of his other stuff but i would definitely go see that for similar reasons yeah yeah i'm curious yeah i'm th- like talk about getting material yeah. like now he's got this unbelievable material to draw from <laughs> yeah i do but it is the thing though it's like there's 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 greater disconnect here honestly yes i feel like there is enough disconnect here for me to not be totally grossed out by anything that's happening on screen i mean like i said the movie is oddly fantastical a lot of the time Mm -hmm. while also being very autobiographical and i just love that blend and it it just leads to the experience where it's like i'm not distracted by that if you can there's there's the quality of a good film if you can get that distraction out of my mind Mm -hmm. it's pretty fucking good yes so um i i agree with you also we haven't talked about Diane Keaton at all. And that's no. a shame because like this is one of the great <laughs> yeah. performances in movies ever. Mm-hmm. She is so unbelievably good in this. Yep. And it's kind of weird that Diane Keaton has sort of 
become synonymous with Andy Andy Hall in a lot of ways. Yeah, because she's had incredible. I mean, this woman was in both Godfathers. Yeah, uh, and is a legend. But like, this is her big performance, and I I just think like she created a specific archetype for film that we've seen borrowed a million times, but never as well as she did it mm-hmm. in this movie. She's unbelievably good in this. So is she the proto manic pixie dream girl? Would you say certainly? She's the weirdo for me. Yeah, I just I've always think, thought of her as the weird. I feel like uh, Zoe Deschanel has been chasing this her entire life and will never ever catch it. <laughs> so, you know, exactly right. And look, Noah Bombach has been chasing Woody Allen his whole life, yeah. and I don't think he's ever gotten there either. Um, I think Greta Gerwig, yeah, Noah, Noah came pretty fucking close with uh, Francis Ha. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is pretty damn close. Yeah. Man, those guys are so good. Yeah. God, I love those two. Me too. <laughs> Did I want to go to dinner with those two? How, oh God, I, I I will. It's my dream now to to meet up with Greta Gerwig and hang out with her. Oh, after, after double Francis date ha. with the bomb box. <laughs> You're not invited, Jabril. <laughs> double date with the Good. bomb box, <laughs> dude. Let's go to a fucking hipster cafe in Queens. <laughs> One condition, though, Nico. It's Noah. I'm fine with your dinner, but can I invite my buddy Wes? Oh. Can I just <laughs> I'll suck it up. You'll suck it up. I'll really. suck it up. What if Wes also wants to do a screening for you of nah. the French Discord? No, I'm out. Are you sure? I'm out. I really want to have dinner with you. I'm out. <laughs> have some lattes on your own. Greta's really excited to see you. Okay, take that back. <laughs> Dude, I love Greta so much. Me too. Um, all right, are we done? Yes. Stream Never. Annie Hall on HBO. Or not. Or buy it. There's also that. Buy it and watch it on Blu-ray. I don't know. Jabril, I'm actually hurt by you today. You hurt my feelings. <laughs> it's all right, though. I'm you glad you pervert. hurt his feelings. I love this. <laughs> I love this movie, but I'm okay with you hurting his feelings. I forgive you. Uh, this is very obviously a two horse race. <laughs> yes. So uh, there goes a racer head Saturday Night Fever and Close <gasps> Encounters. No. There they go. Oh. I know. Uh, and I know how Jabril is voting on Annie Hall. So <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about these other two. Uh, Adam, help me out here. I mean, I I know which one I would go with. It's definitely not the one that you would go with. No. Yeah. Um, I'd, eh, it's, it's hard to make the argument in all, on, on all honesty for Annie Hall for everything that we go for. I mean, unless you want to do another like Boogie Nights or something. I don't know. But... Well, Annie Hall definitely means more to movie fans, I would say. Sure. Not as much as Star Wars, though. It's not even close. I think it means more to people. Star Wars means more to people. Yeah. But Annie Hall means more to like guys like you and I. <laughs> I think in general. Star Wars means a lot to me as well. Star Wars means a lot to me, too. <laughs> um, but Annie Hall, uh, you know, is uh, is the like neurotic romantic comedy. Sure. It, it is. It is. As I said, responsible for Seinfeld, responsible for Bombach, responsible for Gerwig, mm-hmm. uh, responsible for like James L. Brooks too. I don't think we have like yes. broadcast news without Annie Hall. Like mm-hmm. we don't have a ton of all these great movies that we talk about often on this podcast. We often nominate these types of movies are are all direct descendants of what Woody Allen did here. It is the Woody Allen movie. Jabril on moral grounds seems to want to keep Woody Allen out of the movie Hall of Fame, <laughs> like Barry Bonds, just completely banned. Um, oh, that's the same thing. Okay. All right. <laughs> there we go. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like, how about Pete Rose? How about that? I don't know who that is, so that's good. Okay. Uh, okay. Very well. 
<laughs> uh, my my vote is Annie Hall. It will always be Annie Hall. It will uh, will never change. And I, uh, I guess Adam, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Then, dude, we didn't induct Empire Strikes Back. We did not. Oh my god! I mean, Star Wars isn't even the best Star Wars movie. No, mm-hmm. no. But <laughs> we're not gonna have another chance to induct a Star Wars movie unless we do a Star Wars cast. Yeah, which like every podcast is a Star That's Wars the cast. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Go ahead. I accept you. It's it's kind. Of, it's just it just it's Star Wars. It just is. I'm sorry. It's the boring mm-hmm. answer, but we, you know, what do you think, Jabril? Go with God. Go, you guys. Go with God. <laughs> <laughs> Go with the space movie. Go ahead. What would you say? Uh, on our on our grounds here. I mean, to be an anarchist, I would say Annie Hall. Just give the sex pass the award. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there's there's that. He did just put in a vote for Annie Hall, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, give the Star Wars. Why not? Go ahead. Do, you not, do you not like Star Wars, by the way, the first one? No, it's fine. Okay, that's fine. I've been inundated with Star Wars my whole life. They're not movies anymore. Like I said, they're just memes. So I, I, I enjoy them. It's not as much as you guys. That's fine. Fine. Congratulations to... Star Wars. <laughs> we can never talk about Star Wars again. Jeez. Don't they have enough? D- yes. Don't they don't they have enough? Yeah. Yes. They need this award as well? No. <laughs> this is not an award. No, they, they don't need us. I'm not giving you this one. <laughs> I'm tired. Jabril, I blame you. Yeah. I yes. Okay. You. It is his fault. <laughs> Nico, you can't always get what you want. But I do get what I need, as Mick Jagger once said. (laughs) And apparently I needed that today. Annie Hall, an overrated piece of trash. Yes. There you go. My thoughts exactly. Jesus Christ. We could do a Woody pod. Oh, you. We could do a Woody pod. A Woody pod might give me a Woody. Yeah, me too. <laughs> There's a few that I've seen that I, I know you need to yeah, see. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen Zelig. Or, or Purple Rose of Cairo. Right. And you've never seen Broadway Danny Rose? No. And uh, uh, Small Time Crooks is... No, Crimes and Misdemeanors you've never seen no, either. Never seen which is could be my favorite. It's so good. Right. Yeah, mm. maybe one day. All right. All right. We'll have you back, Jabril. I was about to say, you know what? Maybe I'll just bite the bullet and just watch this guy's movies. Why not? Yo. I would love that. If- you know what? That oh. would be penance. That's a good idea. For that take. Yeah, man. You got to come back here and you got to do a Woody Pot with us. <laughs> I might do that. Why All not? right. Sure. I'm so sure. in. Oh, All I'm right. so fucking sure. excited. That's a great idea. Yes. We'll do it. Yeah, we'll Woody do it. Pod. Okay. <laughs> uh, what are we doing next week, Adam? We were going to do the year of 1960 in film. Okay. And let's do a little draft. Hmm. Jabril, you're free to participate if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, let me see. 1960. I will go first and say The Apartment. Mm, good one. Okay. I'll get it out of the way and just say Breathless. Okay. Never seen Breathless. Mm. You're going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Jean-Luc Godard. Yep. Uh, Psycho. I know mean, you guys. You guys were going to pick that anyway, but yeah. Psycho. Never heard of it. Me neither. It's probably terrible. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, and what do we got? Three. All right. Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. Spartacus. <laughs> oh. Hmm. So yeah, I'm. I'm a little. Uh, I'm a little unfamiliar with some of these. 
Peeping, I, I admit. Peeping Tom is very good. I'm not I'm mm. not sure if it needs to be nominated. It's an interesting conversation. Hmm. Let me take a look at the old National Film Registry. See what they included. Adam, is Virgin Spring good? Is that a good uh, Bergman movie? Virgin, Virgin Spring? Spring? I've not seen it. Okay, it came out it. this year. Okay. Most Bergman films are pretty good, though. Most of them. Hmm. So I'll I'll go Magnificent Seven, I guess. All right. Yeah. You're not going the apartment. I already nominated the apartment. You did? I did. I started with the apartment. Oh, I totally missed that. Okay. Do we want to? Jibril, do one more. Uh, want a wild card? Yes. Virgin Spring. We gotta watch a Bergman film. Oh God! All right. All right. Haven't you been meaning to watch Bergman movies, Nico? Yes. You've been meaning to do that. I've been meaning yeah. to watch more Bergman too. So. Oh, the original Ocean's Eleven came out that year. Yeah, mm. but that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In honor of Parasite, I mean, it won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in All 1961. Right. Fair, so. fair, fair. All right. So that's what we'll do. Psycho, Spartacus, The Magnificent Seven, The Apartment. The Virgin Spring and Breathless. One of those movies into the Movie Hall of Fame next week here on this program. Jabril, any other notes for us before we get out of here? Love you guys. Love this podcast. Can't wait to be back. Fuck Woody Allen. <laughs> and fuck Annie Hall. Okay. Damn. I was not ready for that today. That took like two years off my life, dude. <laughs> that was bad. That I was, was rough, man. I, I could have been okay with him saying he didn't like it. I was, I was not ready for that betrayal. Fuck Annie Hall, though. <laughs> my cousin's name is Annie Hall, you bastard. <laughs> my future daughter's name is Annie Hall, you bastard. <laughs> could happen. You never, yeah, know. never know. <laughs> never know. Uh, anything? No. Nothing? Nothing. Okay. When do I, I ever I, have I, 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 I don't know. You get on video, guys. We have to go the coffee. I don't know. Oh, my God. There we go. <laughs> Was that Richard Kind? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yo, I'm so didactic. You know, I, I don't know. I'm going to vomit. Oh, my God. My, my mother. You know. <laughs> trash. Just, Just trash. I had to put that in. <laughs> mm. Okay. Oh, All right. Don't knock <laughs> masturbation, my friends. <laughs> It's sex with someone I love. That's my new ringtone. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you as well, Nico. It's <laughs> <laughs> a quote from the movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, then that's it. Check out the website, too many thoughtsmedia.com or tmt.media for short. Why is this a thing with Nick Romy? Adam is not there. So if you need a nice, needed reprieve, go check out that podcast. We talked about Beyond the Black Rainbow. Can't wait for that pod get, to get nominated for podcast of the year. Panos Cosmatos. How was that? Fun. All right. Weird movie. I didn't love it as much as Mandy. Okay. I'll say that. But it's it's a weird one for sure. Okay. Um, and then, uh, let's see, Culture This Week. I haven't done it yet, but that'll happen probably. It should be in your feeds by the time you're listening to this one. And Fantasy Book of the Month, Nostalgia Plus, both going strong on the site. I love Rate you. Rate these guys on iTunes. Sorry. Rate these guys on iTunes. Yeah. They're great. Thanks, can, can we man. get a celebrity endorsement, please? Telling the listeners to rate us. Oh yeah, definitely. Let me, let me see. Um, Is someone who calling can, in? Who can you who can you pull in? Oh, I hear the ring. Uh, rate these guys on iTunes. I I, I I rate them on iTunes right now, right now, right now. <laughs> you know, or, or I'm gonna masturbate in your faces. <laughs>
I don't know if Woody Allen has ever masturbated in anyone's face. Oh, yes, he has. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, pedophile Woody Allen, for that. You're welcome. <laughs> See my movies. Hang oh, up on him, oh. Jabril. <laughs> Get out of here. Sick of giving that guy airtime. Get out of here. All right. Uh, until All right. next time, you fuckers. <laughs> well, Henry, what do you know? <laughs> I don't know much of anything. <laughs> <laughs>